The Bank Next FinTech podcast is produced in association with software technology company Backbase. Hello and welcome to the Bank Next FinTech podcast. I'm Sean Weston. My guest for today's show is Nigel Verdon. He's the CEO and co-founder of RailsBank, which is a banking and compliance platform that enables businesses to connect to global banking products using an API. And for those who are still blissfully unaware of what an API is, it stands for Application Programming Interface and is a bridge that helps one system talk to another system. Now, you must have explained what an API is a thousand times, Nigel. So would you indulge us, please, by using your shortest explanation? Sure. It, it's, it's really been able to, if you're an app developer or you've got a business where you've got to uh, connect to your bank accounts, control them for receiving and sending money uh, for when, uh, what is the balances, etc. You want your app to connect to the bank. Yeah. And that's traditionally done through what's called an API. And uh, a lot of the APIs at banks, uh, one of the main issues you, you'll find it will take you up three to six months to actually get set up in the, in the commercial banking world as opposed to retail world. And uh, we, we direct take that down to five minutes essentially. Okay. So the whole idea is to be able to programmatically engage with your bank through your application. So you can deliver the customer experience of doing things with money and bank accounts essentially for your customers. Okay, so what is RailsBank and, and how do you guys use APIs? How does RailsBank work? So yeah, RailsBank is a uh, banking platform that connects together a global network of banks and we do all the heavy lifting to use their uh, sort of 80s and 90s technology APIs over and make it available over a very simple, easy to use RESTful API to our customers. What's on the platform? The platform is a set of digital ledgers and those ledgers you map to real-world bank accounts at one of our partner banks. And then you map uh, the money in and money out of those accounts to different payment schemes like SEPA, UK Faster Payments, Visa, MasterCard, all those different types of schemes. So you've got a whole environment and where if you wanted a complete banking back office that your app connected into and can receive and send money by pretty much most capabilities you need to access and be able to issue your own bank accounts. That's what Rails Bank does. Now, that's not rocket science, uh, uh, to be honest. And a key pace that makes it a real difference is the one of the things the banks absolutely fear is getting fined or going into or, or getting uh, more serious offences for processing, uh, basically money laundering, proceeds of crime, terrorism, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you're you're going to mention compliance here, are you? Yeah, yes, yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the C word. Yeah, the C word. <laughs> so, and our, our real sort of secret sources, we've worked out a way of how to embed compliance into the complete platform. So instead of a compliance manual, which is all the policies and procedures you have to protect uh, your organisation, being a PDF and then stuck in a drawer somewhere, uh, we've managed to work out an active, make your uh, your compliance manual active on our platform. So. Everything you do, whether you're onboarding a customer, opening an account, receiving money, sending money, converting money, creating a beneficiary, all has to be compliant with your policies, either as the customer or the bank itself. So the bank protects itself and the customers also can show they're doing the right processes uh, if they're regulated, for example. So we've taken compliance, I think, into the 21st century and the compliance manual into the 21st century and, and instead of 
processes traditionally are done after the fact. They do anti-money laundering checks. They they, they look mm. for patterns <laughs> of money laundering. We do that. It's all real time in the platform. Yeah. Well, you use the phrase uh, global banking via an API with five lines of code as well, don't you? Now, I'm not a coder, but I assume that's pretty clean and efficient code to, to get what you need to, to do done. It's, 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 I've been designing APIs since uh, quite a number of years. I designed because I founded Currency Cloud back in 2007. And uh, in 2011, we launched our API because we thought the APIs would be interesting. And, and this is pre the world of fintech, because fintech was only really coined in Q1 2012. So the key design paradigm behind an API is like Stripe, like Currency Cloud originally and still today and others where you want a very simple way to interact between your computer and our computer essentially. Mm. And so we've designed Rails Bank at, uh, from the very beginning. Our UX is our API. It's not a user interface or anything. It is the API to be as simple and easy to use that uh, even people who've never used an API can, can use it. And that, that is our design goal to, to achieve. I think we have achieved it because I was trying to go for three lines of code. My founder <laughs> said, Nigel, you're a bloody marketeer. Uh, and uh, why don't we say nine to be safe? So we settled on five. And our CTO was given a task, make it in five. And that's what we've uh, designed it out to be. Well, the line that's is confident. It. The line is confident <laughs> because because not everyone will know what an API is still, nor, nor care about how many lines of code you use. So who yeah. are you actually targeting with that line? Oh, we're very much targeting developers. We work with developers yeah. and product managers uh, because we're very much a developer-first, product-to-manager-first uh, type, type business. Mm -hmm. uh, and we, it is really to allow you to build your product and your technology using something that's really simple to work with so you can deliver value and your business model and, and value to your customers. So it, that's who we, we work with very much. If you look at Stripe, Stripe do a very similar thing. It's, I think they have three lines of code to, to accept cards to, uh, for, for merchants. Uh, we very much are inspired by, uh, by them as well. And we like to think ourselves more like Stripe of banking, as you, as you, as you might mm, say. Interesting, yeah. So you've been around just a year. How, how did you actually get started? Where, where did the idea come from? And, and this is a point where I should mention that you did this with, with Clive Mitchell, yeah? Correct, yes. Yeah. So Clive and I have known each other since we're 13 years old. We went to school to university together. Uh, and then we've also exited a business together that used to that, that digitize the capital markets in the 1990s, 2000s, uh, which is now in the Brochero space of all people. <laughs> so the, we were uh, we're both, I'd, uh, I was uh, moving on basically from Currency Cloud because the guys have been uh, running that, that business extremely well. Clive had just left Born Leisure, where he's CIO of 14,000 person, 900 million sterling turnover business and we're looking what what's interesting to do next and uh, we got engaged by a small uh, bank to to give them a digital banking strategy uh, which essentially was hey guys you've got rails here why don't you leverage up the rails and create a new PL in the bank which is a utility banking stick an api on that and and you can make money without chewing up your balance sheet and take all the sunk costs you put into these rails and offer them out to people uh, they weren't brave enough to do that uh, for various reasons. They just didn't have the experience of, be, of being digital. So we thought, well, let's let's take let's move, take this idea further and see because uh, we we fundamentally believe that transaction banking through APIs is broken from all the global banks at the moment because uh, it's a uh, 
a Savile Row product when the world, we believe, wants Marks and Spencer off the shelf. So we decided to go <laughs> out analogy. and build a Marks and Spencer off the shelf quality. You know what you're getting. API, global bank, transaction bank. We consciously decided not to uh, get a banking license because there's enough banks in the world, in our humble opinion, and there's enough good banks in the world as well. And why don't we, like Airbnb owns no real estate, why don't we own no banking licenses and then use other people's banking licenses as part of our banking network uh, to build a global transaction bank? And that, that is what we've set out to do okay. and where you the idea came from. You make it sound so easy. <laughs> I'm not trying to say it's easy. No, that would be, that would be a little bit arrogant. No, it's, it's a big task. And, uh, but we've got a highly experienced team. I mean, uh, the team here, there's, there's no kids, all experience in the banking world, all experience in heavy lifting engineering world. So it, it's, uh, and the, the investors are all uh, industry, well-known industry individuals. So we've got a great team and great backers who, yeah. to help us on this journey. Because yeah. it, it's not a, it is a gray-haired job to be honest <laughs> banking platform it's not hugely exciting uh front-end marketing stuff like the the monzos and others of the world which is doing amazing stuff too that's not our gig we're, we're just the old old school plumbers you're listening to the bank next fintech podcast well, well let me dilute the conversation uh with with politics if you if you don't mind you're based in london you know what i'm going to ask uh, what, are, what are the effects? What, are, what is the state of play as regards the effects of the referendum results on the city's status as a fintech hub? Are you a naysayer as, as a business person there, or are you an optimist? Oh, it, uh, I'm an optimist. I was on Radio 4 with Tarvit uh, a couple of months ago, because <coughs> uh, as you know, Tarvit is, if I did transferize again, I wouldn't do it in London. Uh, uh, me, I'm the opposite. I, I'd still do stuff here in London. Uh, primarily because of uh, legal system is great. Uh, you've got the, the ecosystem here of accountants, lawyers, regulator, technology, uh, banks, everything that you actually need uh, to build the fintech, which is not just the technology. Uh, you've got massive experience of digital marketing people, up, everything you need here in, in London to, to build that. So, and you've got a part, a city that people want to live in as well, which you shouldn't lose sight of that, which has got great communications to pretty much everywhere in the world. So if you look at other uh, jurisdictions or other cities, etc., I think there's, uh, there is some business that may be lost uh, to other places. I, I think Berlin is a great hub because it's a city that people want to go to. There's good communications and there's an ecosystem that's, that's uh, brewing there. So uh, Berlin's a great, great place. Others, uh, the, you, you've got to ask yourself, would I want to live there? Would I want to be taxed there? <laughs> would I want to be yeah. an entrepreneur when yeah. I've made my money and get uh, absolutely killed on capital gains? Whereas uh, as in the UK, I, I pay 10% entrepreneur's relief. So it's, it's a massively great environment to work in. Plus, you've got the tax system here, which brings angel, angel money in relatively easily through SEIS and EIS reliefs, and then you've got R&D. So the whole system is set up it's significantly better than other countries. Now, other countries can copy that, but it is really about do people want to live there? Do I want to get taxed there? Is the ecosystem there? Uh, and things. And I, I get consulted on could we build a, a fintech ecosystem in this town and this country? And we say, well, you give it a go, but <laughs> it's like you're taking centuries of finance and trading yeah, yeah. that have happened here, Amsterdam, New York, those type of places. That's that's a DNA thing. 
And then yes. fundamentally for the city, nowhere else in the world has an Essex. Okay. <laughs> and Essex powers the city. Yeah. That's, a, that's an interesting point of view. Yeah. And, and I guess the, the biggest downside of London is just the prices of espresso martinis, really, isn't it? Oh, yeah. The, 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 the massive downside of London is some of the prices. <laughs> yeah. which, and if, if it was a pure pricing alone, I was in Barolo in Italy uh, on Monday uh, watching Robbie Williams play in a car park. It's brilliant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and you, you could get a, for like 40 euros a head, you get an amazing five course meal, as much wine almost as you can consume. And and as cheap as chips, but there's no fintech uh, yeah, ecosystem exactly. in Barolo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I, I watched the video interview you did with um, Joy McKnight on on Tech Talk, and you, you mentioned oh, yeah. your your dislike for the word disrupt. And I think you're with Chris Skinner in this respect. Uh, Chris Skinner, influential uh, fintech uh, commentator. It's not about displacing existing providers right. of banking and finance, is it? It's about working with existing providers, right? Yeah, the, 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 it was the whole anti-bank thing in 2007, 2008, uh, which uh, <clears throat> it, it's great to kick people when they're down and stuff because it's mm. easy. <laughs> you yeah. see what I mean? Bank bashing. But bank bashing. And, and the, at the time, there was a bunch of uh, people who should not have been running banks and did utterly stupid things. And hopefully that won't happen again. Well, it may do. But in general, most banks are run by pretty sensible people and they try and do the right thing uh, in general put 2007 2008 aside which was a horrendous time so i don't think there's any point in 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 bashing them and and banks have been around since the for hundreds of years and uh have gone through war recession banking crises all sorts of stuff and still exist because they're they are meant to be and i think will continue to be centers of safety and that's their main pitch to us as as a consumer so Instead of actually fighting them, we we totally believe in what's called coincidence of purpose. My old uh, chairman of my first company I built is a guy called Sir Robert Melpass, who's chairman of Ewer Tunnel, uh, main board of BP, main board of Cookson, uh, NED of uh, Repsol. So he's a real industry guy. And he said, always try and create coincidence of purpose. And we so we look at creating coincidence of purpose rather than disrupting. Because try and disrupt banks, uh, they'll just sit there and wait. I can wait 20 years for you guys to go away or buy you. It's as simple <laughs> as that. Okay. And my great-great-grandfather was uh, a guy called Sir George Verdon. And uh, if you look at ANZ, which is who's one of the founding fathers of the, of the bank, they still maintain his offices down in Melbourne, his, his flat apartment. Wow. Uh, it's been around since the 1850s and before, and it's still there. It's called a different name in those days. But they've been doing one fundamental thing, which is holding people's money and lending them to oil the uh, the economy, essentially. And they will continue to do that. So we need to work with them rather than against them. Now, if I was in a bank, though, I uh, and uh, for example, large H- places like HSBC and others, you've got massive change programs to try and actually uh, to 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 what's called it service the new world. And so I think their, their challenge really is, is how do you work with fintech companies in a way that you can get the economics to work for your customers and, and your shareholders and, uh, and you can actually capitalize on the uh, sort of uh, the better models of customer engagement and customer acquisition, et cetera, that the fintech world tends to operate under and, and product development, et cetera. So I think if we get the right mindset, uh, I think that mindset is there because the disruption word seems to be disappearing, that the press has lost interest in it, that we can actually create a better financial system by working together. 
and a better financial system, which also fixed some of the fundamental economics in banking, like customer acquisition costs of $350 for a current account, lifetime value of $250, hence the banks don't bank the underbanked. FinTech can do that by acquisition cost of eight to ten bucks a uh, an account, lifetime value of forty per account on, on some of the uh, un- unbanked uh, fintechs. You can create a better financial system to service the whole world and create financial inclusion as well. Mm. So it's it, I think it's more than just a bit of tech and some marketing and some nice front ends that tell you when you've bought a burger, uh, what your burger consumption rate is and stuff like that. It is about fundamentally changing the the economics of banking to to create a better financial world for people going forward uh, is what the fintech movement really is about and it's this sort of uh, advice that that you're you know that what you're imparting to me now is what you're passing on to others isn't it now tell me about your involvement with Techstars as a mentor and your general approach to helping other startups yeah sure um, uh, Techstars as approached by uh, Greg Rogers, who, who runs it there, who's in, uh, Greg's actually one of the uh, angels in uh, in uh, Rails Bank, as is Chris Huddlesback as well, uh, to uh, uh, to mentor on the program. As yeah, just John Bradford, so John Bradford approached me and said, "Look, Nigel, we're setting up fintech uh, boxes, fintech for tech stars. Um, we need some mentors on the program. Would you come along?" So I said, "Yeah, sure. Happy to have to give back into society." Because uh, I've been, I had some amazing mentors when when I was building companies before, so I uh, got involved with them. Uh, it's great to see lots of innovation going there. It's great to meet so many companies applying for it because like, I remember on the second cohort, there's about 450 applications, and that was honed down to 80 when people like myself and and uh, and uh, Alistair, uh, sorry, I've forgotten Alistair's surname now. Uh, of Craigie Capital and a bunch of us all had to take 80 down to 10 and it's a very difficult process and then you once the 10 has been selected to actually then help mentor them into uh, being successful companies and quite a few of those guys uh, are now well-known brands so I was mm, delighted yeah. to be part of that yeah absolutely and and you were a startup in residence weren't you startup uh, boot camp uh, fintech yeah sure was that Same last year yeah the last year, last <coughs> September, September to December. And yeah. The same thing is uh, uh, no Nectarius Rages, uh, and uh, uh, and also Francisco who who, who runs the program there. Mm. And it was look, guys, uh, we'd love you on the program. I said, look, we we I'm not sure we'd be right fit for the program. So uh, Francisco said, won't you become essentially the in-house startup? that's mentoring people on the program as well as also leveraging the program uh, for your own uh, your own business. And I, I think it worked out extremely well for us, uh, just being selfish about it, because <laughs> okay. it's great, given us great visibility through the marketing machine, which is great. Gave us exposure to Nick, really, Nick, Nick you and I wouldn't have met and talked. Yeah. Nick, Nick uh, Galarakos for, for <laughs> listeners, yeah, we, we've interviewed him already, yeah. And, uh, and Adam, our CTO, was a CTO at Startup Bootcamp. Yeah. So we wouldn't have met Adam either. So yeah. we wouldn't have met part of our, our core team. So Beneficial was, for all parties, yeah. So it's, it's great. It's, it's a good program as well. Uh, they're very different textiles in Startup Bootcamp, and they've both got their, their sort of pluses and minuses and things. But they, they are, I think, two of the, the main two leading ones that there are in the market at the moment. You're listening to the Bank Next FinTech Podcast. All right, about your own humble beginnings. Um, I, I have a small list here, and, and you can add to it, but if I just very quickly go through. So Currency Cloud, 
Investment Banker, Euro Investment Banker, Evolution Consulting Group, Rabbit FX, FX yeah. Capital Group, and Dresner Kleinvert Investment Bank. So, so, you know, you've done a lot of things here, haven't you? So without having to go through all of those in great detail, give me, give me a sense of where you started out on, the, on this road to uh, becoming a businessman and becoming an entrepreneur. Sure. Uh, when I was, uh, I, I was an engineer at university and then the, the master's because I didn't know what to do and, and didn't really want the job at the time. So the Science and Engineering Research Council gave grants and I got one. So that means another year of being paid. And, and doing something interesting. <laughs> and then I was offered a PhD by a guy called uh, Ken Warwick, who's a, he's a professor of cybernetics now at Reading University. And uh, then decided actually uh, uh, living hand mouth as an academic uh, was probably not the thing I really wanted to do. I wanted to actually go and make some money. So I joined a business called EDS, uh, which is a, uh, it's like an Accenture type business. It's run by a guy called Ross Perot, who used to, Went for U.S. president a few years back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, uh, and that was that was interesting. Uh, we, we got uh, we went to their boot camp, which was three months of 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 hell, like the what so not century had a similar sort of boot camp, <laughs> and stayed there for a little while. Then a friend of one of best mate there, he uh, said one day I'm leaving. I said, Oh, why? Well, it's a good job here and stuff like pay us well. Downside is we we all live around Luton area, which is a shithole. Excuse my language. <laughs> and, We've had and, worse on the show. <laughs> and uh, and moving between Zaragoza in, in, in Spain, Rüsselsheim in uh, Germany, Luton in the UK, Ellesmere Port in the UK, <laughs> and Detroit in the US isn't a particularly exciting sort of career path uh, unless you like car towns. So. <laughs> That's why John left, and he joined this place called Goldman Sachs. Uh, and he gave me a call and said, uh, yeah, join this place with Goldman. And uh, they paid 20 times for the same engineering maths and stuff we had as engineers at, uh, at EDS. And that so, was the point where it became finance. Finance yes, became a part yep. of your life, yeah. And I came out and joined uh, uh, Nomura at the time, then Swiss Bank Corps. And uh, at Swiss Bank Corps uh, was a massively innovative uh, tech shop that was attached to a massively into the trading shop, uh, a proprietary trading shop, it was a trading balance sheet. Was, of, it was, came from a company called O'Connor that Swiss Bank or bought. And uh, our CIO at the time, a guy called Craig Highmark, who incidentally is my, on my board at uh, Evolution as well, he uh, had Steve Jobs on his, on his speed dial because oh. we were uh, users of Next Computers, which mm. is Next Computers are now the, the iMac essentially of today and uh, did ma massively innovative stuff with their platform and their tech to pretty much revolutionize the FX options market, et cetera. And then this modern thing called the internet appeared uh, in sort of mid-1990s. And uh, once you got over the fact you can email your mate sitting on the desk to your left and it goes all around the world <laughs> yeah. and go, wow, did you get that email? Did you get that email? I remember that so, point, yeah, <laughs> yes. I remember. We then worked on, and this is with, with Clive as our co-founder, we did the very first foreign exchange trades on the internet uh, because we realized that you could set this thing up, which looked, we built this, uh, sort of took this thing that looked very much like Slack does today mm. and externalized it so the traders could talk to their customers and execute trades over it. So there's a lot of compliance tech and everything else built into it. Mm. So that's, that's where it took off. And then we thought, uh, the, uh, there's a lot of other banks who might want this. So we set up Evolution, which was a miniature Accenture, to go and help digitize the capital markets business of Goldman, Morgan Stanley, Merrill Lynch, uh, Swiss Bank, or straight UBS. 
and that's where the deal started. Yeah. Well, so there was a, you know, I had a question down here. Can you pinpoint where your aptitude for business specifically started? But it sounds like it, it was sort of a, a slow build almost from the engineering to, to the finance. Was, was it, it was a natural leap for you. It wasn't, there wasn't a, a fear there, a barrier, a knowledge no, barrier. No, it wasn't. I mean, in those days, uh, for example, compliance was an inconvenience that sat upstairs in a corner, uh, for example. Uh, it was the days just after the 80s when anybody can get into the banking world. Yeah. Uh, and, and everybody and did. And, and everybody <laughs> yeah. did. And uh, yeah. I remember a school friend of that, a friend that went to school with me in Clive, Simon Quirk, he came up here as, as an equity sales guy into the city. And I thought, like, if Simon Quirk can get a job in the city, <laughs> my my cat, my cat can get a job in the city. Yeah, and he's actually he's actually a very successful guy. Now, but yeah. <laughs> that sort of wasn't those days. So I mean, exams were were sort of you had to a few bits and pieces. Mm. Uh, compliance didn't exist really. Uh, it was uh, and technology hadn't massively changed it. It's starting to change it, but only in capital markets. So it was a it was a time when the the timing was right, uh, and it was just a great atmosphere at that time. So I wouldn't say I was being in particular clever. I just happened to probably be in the right place, right time, as you mm. might say. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I think you're being a little bit modest about it. That issue. Because <laughs> I, I do think I do think technological progress is a motivating factor in many people's career choices, and it does sound like you've taken advantage of technological progress. Oh yes, but Clive and I both. One of the fundamental reasons we also set up Rails Bank was this massive shift to towards cloud mm. and trusting cloud and uh, and the whole concept that you can set things up like using AWS in with a few dollars, where literally five years ago you'd be spending a fair amount on colo tin uh, and stuff, so it'd be a few hundred grand down before you can really start something sensible. Mm. So. The, the, the whole ability to use and leverage tech to be in business fast and easy it was is there now. And the, this whole API generation that we live in, or Lego generation, uh, and this constant or this sort of concept of fintechs working together as well as with banks, where you build new businesses by plugging together other businesses mm-hmm. to build a new product. That that is of the moment now, and I think that's what we're we're looking to capitalise on this whole uh, API and Lego based uh, generation. Yeah, well, we've, we're running out of time, so my last question will be, um, you know, what's next for Rails Bank? What does the next twelve months hold, and and perhaps beyond? What yeah, can sure. You tell us? Uh, the the next twelve months for for Rails Bank, uh, we're very much focused on the next three months actually. Because like everything, if you can get the next three months done, the, the, then the next three months will fall into place in the next three months. So our, our real focus, at short-term focus, is get uh, a, a US capability up and running. Uh, and Clive's very much focused on that. And we're also, to uh, next year, to be pushing out over Southeast Asia as well. And that's one of the things, because we're a tech-only business that connects partners together, we believe we can scale and build a global business within two years. Uh, as opposed to we did that with a banking license with a millstone around our neck. Uh, we'd be two years to just get the UK off the ground, which is, I think, if you look everybody else has been getting licenses, that's a sort of, that's what it uh, tends to be at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, thanks for bringing me up to speed on Rails Bank and, and, and for joining me today. Very much enjoyed this conversation. Um, and I hope that you'll uh, keep in touch and, and let us know how sure. you're getting on. Yeah. Yeah, and thanks for the opportunity, Sean. Much appreciated. 
you for listening to the Bank Next Fintech podcast. The show was written and produced by Sean Weston for Software Technology Company Bank.